الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم افتح علينا بحكمتك وانشر علينا برحمتك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله في كل نمحة ونفس عدد ما وسعه علم الله يا عليم علمنا من علمك ما ترضى به عنا ولا تؤاخذنا بما تعلمه منا يا حليم خلقنا بخلق الحن وحققنا بحقائق العلم سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين السلام عليكم Welcome everybody. Uh, please, everybody, take a seat. Uh, you know, invite somebody over to you if they're sitting alone, like our sister Fatima Fayyad. She's sitting all alone, so somebody join her or something. Alhamdulillah. Uh, welcome to you all. I'm very happy to be with you on this beautiful Saturday morning, where we are starting to see the beginnings of winter. Mashallah. But you know, the warmth uh, here in this room with everybody here together is palpable. So I'm very happy to be with you. And uh, today, as you can see, we have some very special guests, a distinguished panel of ulama. Uh, um, so there, mashallah. Most of these are from my childhood. I used to sleep with them. Uh, actually, that sounds really bad. Like, sorry, don't, don't sleep with your teachers. But uh, uh, so I guess this is being recorded. So um, these are actually stuffed animals, alhamdulillah. But... Um, um, there's a very specific reason why they are here, alhamdulillah. Um, Imam al-Ghazali, whose book we have the great fortune and blessing of going through together, uh, is a master of images. And if you are following in the book, you will really see that. And uh, I just realized we, we, we really can't... It's very hard to picture an image if it's just in words. And so that's why our friends here are here today. Um, but we've been speaking about the matters of the heart. And we spoke about how all of religion, all of prophetic religion, all religion that is rooted in truth revolves around the heart. And so when we talk about our spiritual hearts, we're not talking about something that's abstract, we're not talking about something that's, um, you know, of secondary importance or anything like that. We are talking about the very essence of reality. As we said, it is matters of the heart that truly matter. And God addresses our hearts. He does not address our hands or our bellies or our feet or even our brains. God addresses our hearts. And is our hearts that are rewarded and our hearts that are punished. Ultimately, because everything comes back to our hearts. And last week, we had the good fortune of going through some of the realms or the domains or the aspects of the heart. So we spoke about the nafs, the self, the soul. We spoke about, actually, first of all, the, the heart itself, the qalb. Right? This amazing 
I mean, when we speak about it physically, of course, we're referring to this amazing physical piece of flesh. But when we speak about the physical heart, it is that aspect of us that gives life to our spirit just as our physical heart gives life to our physical bodies. And we spoke about the nafs, which is the self, which is identity. What you refer to when you say I. We spoke about the aql, which is the intellect. And we spoke about the ruh, which is the spirit. And we talked about how all of these things are referring to a single reality, which is a subtle aspect of the human being. A subtle, lordly aspect that is the means by which we know things. And is the means by which we come to know the greatest object of knowledge of all, which is God. And this week, God willing, we turn to some new questions. The whole point of talking about the heart, right? We can speak about how it's important and stuff like this, but ultimately we want to empower ourselves with practical knowledge so that we know how to interact with ourselves, so that we know how to interact with creation, and so that we know how to interact with God. And all of this is laying the groundwork for that. But this week, we get to explore or we get to move more into some of that territory. And the questions that we want to talk about this week, uh, the first one is, how does the spiritual heart cooperate with the body and the senses? Right? What's the relationship between the spiritual heart and the body and the senses? And the second question we have is, what makes the human being so special among creation? What is it that distinguishes the human being? All right, so are we all on the same page? Those are the questions we're going to try to answer today, inshallah. And I forgot, oh, my notes fell on the floor. <laughs> and so Imam al-Ghazali, after speaking to us about the different areas of the heart and the different regions of the heart and the domains of the heart, he starts talking to us about what he calls the armies of the heart. And he opens with the verse of the Qur'an, uh, God says, وَمَا يَعْنَمُ جُنُودَ رَمْبِكَ إِلَّا And none know the armies of your Lord except for Him, except for God. None know the armies of your Lord except for He. And when we speak about the spiritual heart and we speak about the armies of the spiritual heart, we are fundamentally speaking about something that is unseen. Right? Something that we don't necessarily recognize. And something that ultimately is a secret. God's secret in creation. And the full reality of that, understanding the full reality of that is something that we're not really capable of doing. But we can get enough knowledge of that uh, that is practical for us. But inasmuch as Imam al-Ghazali establishes that it is the heart that is the, really the, the essence of the matter, that everything comes down to our spiritual hearts, then what role does our body have? What role does our brain have? What role do our limbs have? What role do all these other aspects of us have? And so he's... He speaks about the body as a markab, the body as a vehicle. Because, of course, we live in this world. 
Because of course our spiritual journey takes place in the context of our physical journeys. It becomes so important that we take care of our bodies, that we honor our bodies, that we love our bodies, right? and that we maintain our physical health. Because we cannot progress on this spiritual journey if our bodies are unsound, if our bodies are unwell. Right? If we don't have energy to serve our brothers and sisters, if we don't have the strength to bow down to God in prayer or to work, to earn a living, then it becomes very difficult for us to progress on our path. But he says that all of our faculties, every aspect of your being, is like an obedient servant of your heart. And the Imam says that the example of your limbs and your eyes and your nose and, and your ears and all of these other aspects compared to your heart is almost like the angels are with God. Because when your heart commands your limb, like when, I, when my heart, my spiritual heart commands me to go like this, commands my arm to stretch out, my arm stretches out. And my arm doesn't think twice about it, right? My arm just does it. When I stand up, right, my legs jump into action. That's because my heart has commanded my legs. When I speak, you know, as the poet said, that the tongue was only made an interpreter of the heart, right? And so the tongue is a reflection of my heart. Just as the angels, when God commands the angels to go out, when God commands the angels to uh, arrange certain affairs or to do anything, they automatically obey without asking twice. But he says, Imam al-Ghazali says that the difference between your limbs and your body and so forth and the angels is that your limbs and your body, they actually don't even know that they are being obedient to the heart. And of course, God has the most, uh, God has no likeness. But it is so that we can begin to understand what is that relationship. And so the body proceeds, or the body engages in the world, or the body moves through the world in absolute obedience to the heart. And so if that heart is sound, and if that heart is giving sound directives, then, then our actions are good. And if not, then they're not. But he speaks about the armies of the heart. And if you read through that section, it's a little bit hard to kind of get through that all. But basically, um, it's not really good to like use a new sheet of paper, right? Um, but I think I might have to. So you have the armies of, I have to do this in red, right? Of the heart. I'm 
basically these go into three categories. You have will, knowledge, and power. So will is internal, knowledge is internal, and power, you see that on the outside. So basically, the armies of your heart come down to these three categories. And for those of you, inshallah, all of us who have learned our basic creed, these three words, will, knowledge, and power, are very important. Um, because they are called as-sifatul rabbaniyah, they are called lordly attributes. Because these attributes or these descriptions, these aspects of us, they share the names with attributes of God. Right? I have a will, like I want, I want to do something, for example, and God has a will. I have knowledge, and God has knowledge. I have power, and God has power. Right? God has ability. But of course, God's ability isn't granted by anything else. And God's knowledge isn't given to him by anyone else. Whereas, of course, we have to acquire these things, and all of these things are gifts to us from God. But will is something that you see on the inside, right? Like, will is something like, if I want to do something, if I want to, like, if I want to reach and touch this glass, before I touch the glass, you don't actually see my will. You don't actually see what I want to do. And you don't see the knowledge that I have either. You don't see the things that I know. Power is external because you see my ability, right? You see me moving the glass, like picking up the glass and moving it. So that's actually what you actually see about it, right? Does that make sense? Is everyone clear on this so far? Or is it like uh, clear as mud? That's what they say, right? Does anyone have any questions so far? Bismillah. I'm actually going to switch these. So I'm putting power in the middle and knowledge uh, on the right side. Um, I meant to do that, but okay. And so the Imam speaks about two aspects of our will, which are very, going to be very key topics throughout the rest of our journey. He speaks about anger and appetite. Uh, and anger in Arabic is what we call ghadab. Ghadab. And appetite is what we call shahwa. Anger, well, anger is well known, right? 
appetite pertains to your appetite for your belly, like to eat food and things like that. And it also pertains to sexual appetite as well, because those are essentially the same function. But very basically, like how would you define appetite? How would you define anger? There's no real good translation for the word shahwa, but we'll say appetite for now. But how do you define these things? Because like the very basic meaning of anger, the very basic function of anger is to ward off harm. And the very basic function or meaning of appetite is to bring about benefit, right? Like if you don't have any appetite, then you can't eat and then you pass away and things like that. Uh, you know, the species can't continue. So it brings about benefits. And anger likewise wards off harm because, you know, somebody hurts you, somebody causes you some difficulty or something like that. You get angry, right? And if you don't have that anger, then, you know, people oppress you or people can uh, walk all over you or so on and so forth and you, you can't respond. But that is basically what your will consists of is warding off harms and bringing about benefits. Right? Um, And then with regards to power, your, your abilities, your capacities, and things like that, he speaks about basically two aspects, your limbs, and then your five senses. I'm not going to write out the senses, but I, I think we all know that, mashallah. Um, but I'll just do this, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, right? So your sight, your taste, your touch, your hearing, and the, the fifth one that I'm missing, smell, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> mashallah. So your limbs basically enable you to do the things that you want to do, right? Like, I'm thirsty, therefore I, I pick up, like my limb, my arm, enables me to pick up this water and to drink it. That's how your power manifests. But then you have this other aspect as well that, you know, you're able to see. You're able to take in information, right? You're able to hear things, you're able to taste things, and so on and so forth, right? And that's another aspect of your ability. Keeping these things in check or keeping these aspects of ourselves in their right places involves the last part, which is knowledge. And that again is an internal aspect of you. Uh, knowledge and wisdom. And again, the Imam speaks about five aspects of that. He speaks about five of those armies that are very important for us. And so just as we have five senses, five external senses, so too do we have five internal senses, uh, senses of our, the way we process information. So he speaks about, for example, imagination, khayal, right? So for example, if I'm looking at my brother Saad, and uh, he's sitting there with a frown, right? No, that was become a smile, right? But I close my eyes. I close my eyes and I can picture him exactly as he was. 
right? That's called khayal, that's called uh, imagination, right? So I get a mental image of him. Uh, then you have memory. Then you have memory. So like, not only do I have that mental image of him, but I store that somewhere. I store that in my mind or I store that somewhere. So if I ever want to think of, like if, if tomorrow I'm walking and, um, you know, I'm walking to the supermarket or something, and I think of, you know, Saad is a great guy, right? I get a mental image of him. And maybe it's the same image that I just registered because I stored that in my memory. Then you have tafakkur, you have reflection. So I think about all of the images that I have of Saad, I reflect upon them, and I think about the, thing, the places I've seen Saad and the, things I've, the wonderful things I've seen him do, right? You reflect on all of those things. Uh, then you have recollection, right? So as I'm reflecting on Saad and how amazing he is and so forth, I recollect all of these wonderful memories that we've had together. Uh, and then you have what, what's called common sense, right? Al-Hissu uh, al-Mushtarak. That's not the common sense understanding of common sense. We have a different, when we say common sense, we understand or we typically mean something different. But common sense here is the means by which we process information. So as all of, I get this flood of beautiful memories I've had with my brother Saad, then I start to put together those things together and I start to attach meanings to those things. And I say, you know, Saad, he, he really always got my back. He always had my back. And, you know, he's a really nice brother and he, he's a wonderful person and so forth, right? So then I start attaching meanings to them. And then I start attaching meanings like Saad is my friend. Saad is my brother, right? Processing this information. So all of these things work together at the behest of the heart. And so Imam al-Ghazali, in order to help, kind of help illustrate these meanings for us, he paints out a few images to show us some of these relationships. And that's where our friends come into play, because um, the first example he speaks about is of a kingdom, right? So this is the wonderful kingdom. This was actually assembled by our sister Fatmi, mashallah. But this is a kingdom, right? I don't know if you can see it, but there's like lots of soldiers here and lots of common people too. And there's lots of monopoly houses and banks or no, they're hotels, right? Lots of hotels and stuff like that, right? The kingdom is like your body. And every aspect of your body, right? So you have your arms and your legs, you have your brain and you have your belly and you have every aspect of yourself, your eyes and your ears and your nose. All of that is represented in the kingdom. And the ruler of that kingdom, so, so this is, this is our, our king. This is the king of the kingdom. It can be a queen if you want to be like gender, uh, 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 you know, parity and so forth. But uh, for, me, for me, it's a king. Anyways, I couldn't find a crown, so I gave him a Santa hat. But uh, this is the king of the kingdom, right? And that is your soul. That is your soul. So this is the guy, well, 
I, I suppose we could have used this king. But anyways, this is the one who's in charge. Oh, he's going to fall over, is he? Right. And so the soul commands things. The soul commands your body. The soul commands every aspect of you to do its own bidding. And the members of the body, like your arms, your legs, and all of this, those are like the craftsmen and the laborers, the people who are actually working in the kingdom. And then we get to some of the things we discussed there, because you have these basically these three main characters. These three main characters who are kind of around the king. Um, You have the false advisor. Like you have the person who's always there giving advice to, to the king, but he's not very sincere. And you also have the true and sincere and intelligent advisor. That's your intellect. Right, there's, this is from the University of Alberta, so this is like a, a faculty advisor or something. Anyways, this is the intellect, right? And so they're also fellow bears, that's why they, they get along well. The false advisor is the one who, who brings about, you know, who brings in good things into the kingdom. So this, this false advisor brings in food and provisions and so forth and uh, leaves them there. But this false advisor also has his own projects. He has his own things that are of interest to him. He has his own desires for the kingdom. And he's not entirely sincere. This good advisor who is the vizier or who's like the next in command after the king. The good advisor, which is the intellect. Right? And your intellect, as we said before, your aql is what sees the consequences of actions. Right? It sees the end result. So, for example, you, know, you see some really delicious food, like a delicious croissant, like we said last time. Right? And it's the 20th croissant. Right? All you see is that, oh, that looks really good. So you reach out and you grab it and you eat it. And then you eat the 21st and the 22nd and the 23rd. Your intellect sees that at the end of this endless stream of croissants, there's not very good things in store for me. Right? Like, I'm going to get diabetes, and I'm going to get really sick, and so on and so forth, right? So that's the wise advisor. The wise advisor sees the end results of things. And the wise advisor also recognizes that this not-so-scrupulous um, advisor, the treacherous advisor, who does bring in a lot of good to the city, and does bring in a lot of good things, and so on and so forth, this is your appetite, and the wise advisor recognizes that the not-so-well-intentioned advisor, he does bring a lot of good into the city, and he does serve an essential function. But if he gets out of uh, control, if he gets out of check, then that could destroy the whole city. Right? Because ultimately, he wants to suppress this, 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 this advisor, and he wants to gain power, and he wants to gain influence, so that things run the way he wants them to run, right? And that's unfortunately the way that most of us run our cities, 
That's the way most of us run our kingdoms because, you know, if I want it, I take it. It doesn't matter who I hurt. It doesn't matter uh, how it harms me, right? I'm hungry for that. Or I have an appetite for that. I'll take it. It doesn't matter if it's lawful or unlawful. That is the kingdom that is run by appetite. Then the king has another uh, character. This is the head of police. <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody know which, which Ninja Turtle this is? Is Raphael? Okay. Raphael is the head of them, right? Or Donatello is the head? But Donatello has his sticks, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so this is the head of police, right? I couldn't find a police animal thing. So anyways, this is the head of police, right? And so the king works closely with the head of police to make sure that things are taken care of, right? And also to make sure that this treacherous advisor doesn't get out of hand, right? Because, you know, we spoke about appetite as bringing in benefits. But, you know, when... When your appetite is out of control, you can also bring in things that are harmful, right? And the head of police, which is the anger, that warms, wards off the harmful aspects. So the king or the soul has to make sure that these two balance each other out. And the anger doesn't get out of hand such that, you know, right? It, you know, the, the, the individual starts breaking relationships and, and uh, things of that nature. Nor does the appetite get out of hand so that the person starts harming him or herself. And so it's a constant um, battle between these two things. And in directing these things, the, or directing these two characters, The king or the queen must take the advice of the sincere advisor who sees how things are going to end up. Does that make sense? Um, because if the anger, again, like if, if, the, if the head of police gets out of control, right, then you can have a coup d'etat and you can have, like, right? That itself, again, that's, that's, that's not a healthy situation. So both of these things, you can't have an excess of anger and you can't have too little anger. And you can't have an excess of lust or desire and you can't have too little appetite either. So that's the first uh, uh, image that Imam al-Ghazali gives us. The next image that he gives us This time, the king or the queen, right, is the intellect. So now we're on a, another image. This time, the king or the queen is the intellect. Again, the whole point of these images is to show you relationships. It's a little bit abstract. But it's to show you how these things work together, how the armies of the heart work together, and how they check one another, and how the heart really works. Right? Because when you can begin to understand those relationships, then you can begin to think about why is it that I always fall into that particular sin? Why is it that I always hurt that person? Why is it that I always hurt that person with my anger, that I can never control my anger? Why is it that I must always indulge in 
watching such and such videos on the internet or uh, you know, eating certain things that are harmful to me. Because ultimately, it all, it all goes back to the heart. So in the second image, the king now is the intellect. That's your ability to reason. That's your ability to see the consequences of, of actions. And the city, again, is, is, is the body. The city, again, is your faculties, your arms, your legs, and so on and so forth. So we'll, we'll say that, that these um, houses and, and hotels and stuff, that's the city. So those are your faculties and so forth. Then your senses, he says, your senses, like your, your five senses, your hearing, touch, uh, and so on and so forth. Those are your armies. And so they have a very valuable function. They have a very important function because they protect the rest of the body. Right? You gather information through that and, and so forth. But as you can see, some of those armies of a particular color and the other aspect of the army is of a different color. There is a war that's going on. You can see that there's the, the, the dark pieces and the light pieces, right? There is a war that's fundamentally going on. So you have the dark pieces, which are the, the soldiers of, of, of the king, of the intellect, but you also have the light pieces, which are um, the soldiers of the appetite and the soldiers of anger, right? The soldiers of desire that is out of proportion, that's not checked, that's not, that's not properly balanced. Of the nafsul ammara, the, 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 the lower self that constantly commands towards evil. There is a battle that's happening. And the forces of goodness, the dark forces, are, are directed by intellect. That this is in my best interest, this is not in my best interest, this is lawful, this is unlawful, this is pleasing to God, this is not pleasing to God. And the forces of evil are simply self-serving. And the common people here are the limbs. The third image that Imam al-Ghazali gives us is of a horseman or a horsewoman, right? Trying to be sensitive, right? So this is actually a yama. I didn't have a horse, but this is a yama. My sister brought this from Peru when she was there, right? You have the horse person riding on the yama. <laughs> I don't know, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> the, the, the yama person, right? Riding on the yama. And, and they also, you know, the horse person also has a little dog. That's Snoopy, right? So, when things are in their right places, this horse person is the intellect, right? That capacity of you, that ability you have to see the end aspects of things, and to think rationally, and to process information, and so on and so forth. The horse is your appetite. Right. And the dog is your anger. 
And this horse person is also hunting, right? So he's out or she's out on a mission. Now when things are right, like if the horse person, uh, yama person knows how to ride a yama and is very skillful in that and so on and, and you know, got enough sleep and had their coffee and, and so on and so forth, right? Then they're functioning well. And the yama or the horse is, is well trained. Uh, it's domesticated. It listens to uh, its owner and so, its rider and so on and so forth. And then the dog as well is obedient, is trained. The dog goes out at the bidding of its master. Then things are going to be all right, right? Because the dog will protect, you know, the dog will, will look out and, and, you know, if there's some danger, the dog will warn the master. And they function as a unit together. And likewise, the horse enables the, the master to um, go out and find the prey and so on and so forth and to travel far distances that it wouldn't other be, uh, the master wouldn't otherwise be able to follow. And all of that is at the bidding or the direction of this wise hunter, male or female. The, the intellect. But when things aren't in the right places, when the hunter really doesn't know what they're doing, they've never been on a horse before, they've never been on a, or maybe they have experience with horses but not yamas, right? So they're, they're, they're not really very skillful. That is like the obscuring of the intellect. And the yama or the horse isn't trained. And the dog the anger is also wild and so on and so forth. You know, the dog maybe runs away or the dog attacks the owner or something like that. And the, the, the rider can't even ride the animal and so on and so forth because the appetites are out of control and the anger is out of control. And the intellect can't even see what are the next steps or how to respond. Things aren't going well. What does it do? It becomes nearsighted. It can no longer see the end consequences. So these animals serve very important functions, the appetite and the anger. They're necessary for the rider to be able to accomplish its goals. But they also need to be trained and they need to be doing things in the right way. Um, the next aspect that Imam al-Ghazali speaks about gets to the second question that we were talking about. What is it that distinguishes the human being? What makes the human being so special? Because like a lot of these armies that we've spoken about, right? The limbs and the senses and the abilities, right? We share those things with much of God's creation. You know, the ability to grow and reproduce. Well, plants do that too. The ability to see and hear and even process some information, animals do that as well. Having a certain physicality or a certain, like you look a certain way and you have a certain form and image. Well, you know, like those images of those um, whirling dervishes, for example, those look like human beings as well. 
What is it that distinguishes the human being? What makes the human being unique and special? And it is, of course, the heart. It is, of course, the spiritual heart, but it is a very specific aspect of that heart. That this heart, this powerful entity, was created to know God. Was created to know Allah. And was created to have knowledge. was created to express itself in language. Of course, as God says in the Qur'an, وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا And God taught Adam all of the names. And so there might be other aspects of creation or other animals or creatures that also have some access to language, right? Uh, God says in the Qur'an, you know, when he's speaking about Solomon and David, he said, right. Solomon says, or rather, Solomon inherited from David, his father. And he said, O oh people, we have been taught the language of the birds. The word here is very interesting, mantiq. Mantiq also means logic. We've been... Uh, we've been taught the logic of the birds, right? Because language and, and reasoning are very closely related. And, and that's not something we can get into here. But, you know, the birds have a way of communicating. And they say that that communication between birds is very subtle. And they say that the language of the birds is like the language of the angels. But the language of the angels wasn't like the language of human beings. And in fact, the language that was given to Adam, it was what made Adam superior to the angels. It is for that reason that Adam was made God's representative on earth. God also speaks about the ant. Right, and Solomon is pro progressing, pro uh, you know, he's proceeding with his army. And there's like a, a bunch of ants who are there, right? There's, there's an ant hill or a colony or whatever you call it. And one of the ants says, So one of the ants tells the other ants, uh, Oh, ants, go back into your houses. Solomon and his armies won't be aware of you and they'll destroy you. And of course, Solomon is privy to that. Many of the prophets were given access to the language of animals. But again, that language isn't the same as the language of human beings. That capacity to understand. But I mean, you really, you know, you think about ants, right? Like everybody's working in this colony yet nobody knows what the other is doing. And, you know, this is kind of barbaric to be honest, but uh, I don't know if you've seen on, on YouTube or anything like that where people um, pour molten metal uh, into an ant colony. It's, it's very bad. It's a very bad practice. 
But, uh, you know, I, I remember Sheikh uh, Mukhtar Maghrabi, he once said something to the effect that if you can kill an ant, you can kill any human being. Well, because it's a, creature, it's a creation of God, right? Like you, you can't see the secret of God's creation in that. Then how will you see, how will you appreciate another human being? But in any case, when people do those things, when they pour the molten metal into these colonies and stuff like that, all you see is a little round hump, right? That's the top of the, of, the, of the colony. But you pour in that molten metal and you pull it out and you see that there's like an intricate uh, series of uh, tunnels and, and, and all sorts of passageways that goes down many, many feet. These tiny little ants. And all of them are coordinating this, but they don't know what the other, no ant knows what the other ant is doing. So somehow they have some way of communicating or something like that. It's amazing. Like, you should look that up. I, actually, I don't know if you should look that up because maybe that's supporting uh, uh, barbaric practices. But um, it is a fascinating thing. But as our scholars speak or, or, or think about or traditionally how they've understood what really distinguished human beings, they called the human being al-hayawan al-natiq, the rational animal. And again, you have this word natiq, which literally means the articulating animal or the animal that speaks. Right? We we spoke about mantiq and natiq. They're the same root because speech is the logical extension of intellect or reason. But basically they said that all of these animals and all of these creatures and so on and so forth, we're like them in that we live and we die and we grow and we reproduce and we eat and we do all of these sorts of fun. We, have, we build homes and so on and so forth. But what distinguishes us is that we have the capacity to think. We have a capacity to reason, which goes well beyond what any animal has which goes well beyond what anything in creation has. And it is that very special aspect of us, right, that we're able to direct the armies of the heart in a way that's pleasing to God. If you look at children, like very small children, for example, they're like pure nafs, right? Pure um, anger and appetite, right? Like they want something that you don't give it to them, they want the cookie, then they start crying. Right? And then they show their anger, right? And, you know, like they start having a tantrum and so on and so forth. And, you know, they hurt people. And, and <laughs> right? So children as well, they don't, they don't have that, that aspect. Like they don't see the consequences of things, right? They don't see that if they eat that cookie, then they're going to get all these cavities and they'll get all sorts of problems and so forth. They don't see that if they punch their brother, then their brother's going to start crying or something like that. Right or their mother or right. Um, children also don't have that, but but that capacity becomes developed with time. And as the human being progresses through life and progresses across the spiritual path, the human being becomes much more attuned to. Understanding what motivates people, what pushes people. How can I be of benefit? How can I be of service to people? 
That same knowledge is also an ability to manipulate people and to turn them to evil ends and so on and so forth. But that knowledge and that capacity increases. People begin to understand what is the consequence of my action. Empathy. And all of these aspects ultimately proceeding in a world, going forth in a world where we're morally responsible. That we have to answer for our actions, that our actions have consequences. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And taking the body, which is our vehicle, taking it so that our spirit can arrive safely in the loving presence of God. The human being alone is distinguished by that capacity. Nobody else has that. Animals obey God, but they obey God because they're created to obey Him. Angels obey God, but they, they're also created to be that way. And the human being is somewhere between angels and animals. Like the human being has both of those aspects. But it is when the human being is living to his or her full potential that he or she not only rises to the level of the angels but surpasses that. Because it's squaring the circle, bringing together the animal aspect with the spiritual aspect, with the aspect, the angelic aspect, right? That's an impossibility. Angels are pure spirit. They're not burdened by things of flesh and these basic needs and stuff like this. They don't have those appetites and desires. But when a human being can have those things and put them in the right places and take that journey to God, then the human being rises even above the angels because they've done something that's really impossible. And all things are possible by the will of God. They say, Like you will never know God until you can reconcile between opposites. Until you can bring opposites together. The angelic aspects and the bestial aspects, those are opposites. And yet in taking the path, it is the human being alone who can bring those things together. And that's what makes the human so special. And this is why in the Qur'an, you know, the women around Joseph, when they first see him, they said, By God, this is not a human being. This is not but an, a, a, a noble angel. And yet they see him, he's very embodied, he's very beautiful. Right? But they see the strength of his spirit, they see the strength of his angelic aspect that's perfectly melded with the beauty of his physicality, and they can't even understand what that is, right? That is the perfected soul. That is when all of the armies are in place and acting according to intellect, that are governed by the heart. But everything is in its right place. Imam al-Ghazali relates the hadith, that's of a weak transmission. But he says, 
It's related from the Prophet that he said, If it were not for the fact that these demons, these um, yeah, these demons were revolving around the hearts of the children of Adam, they would gaze upon the kingdom of heaven, the malakut, right, the unseen. And so we all have that capacity within us. But the ability to gain in that knowledge and to increase in that knowledge, right, that ultimately is a gift from God. That ultimately is a gift from God. And so in that capacity, of course, of knowing things and coming to know about creation, knowing about the world around us and, and progressing on that path, people differ widely. And some people have a great share of that knowledge and others are, are too blinded by our appetites and our anger to really take that path. And some of that knowledge we gain from experience, right? working with people and coming to know people and so on and so forth. Some of that knowledge we come to know by inspiration. Some of that knowledge people come to know through revelation. Namely the prophets. But ultimately all of that knowledge, whether it's acquired or it's directly given, all of that is a mercy from God. And In the famous hadith that's related by Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim and others, the authentic narration, the Prophet speaks about God. He says, يَنْزِلُ رَبُّنَا إِلَى سَمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا كُلَّ لَيْلَةً حِينَ يَبْقَى ثُلُثُ اللَّيْلَ الْآخِرِ فَيُنَادِي فَيَقُولُ مَنْ يَدْعُونِي فَأَسْتَجِيبَ لَهُ مَنْ يَسْأَلُونِي فَأُعْطِيَ Man yastaghfiruni Like who, you know, that our Lord descends to the lowest heaven. And of course, that's not a physical movement or something like that. God is beyond time and space. But God unfolds His special mercy in the last third of the night. And He calls out and says, Who is asking that I may, who is, who is praying to me that I may answer Him? Who is asking me that I may give her? Who is seeking my forgiveness that I may forgive her? That is ultimately this divine disclosure of knowledge that is really just a pure mercy. The ability to rise to our Adamic potential as representatives of God on earth. Part of that is from God. In fact, all of it is from God. But we also have responsibilities in that regard that Imam al-Ghazali also speaks about. But it is this striving against these lower self, the lower self, disciplining it, putting things in the right places. Right? Uh, and God says in the Qur'an, فَانْضَلَ اللَّهُ الْمُجَاهِدِينَ بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ عَلَى الْقَاعِدِينَ Right? That God has favored those who strive uh, with their wealth and their very selves over those who simply sit to the side in degrees. He says, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَنْ نَفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ 
right? As for those who fear the station of their Lord and prevent themselves from following idle desires, the garden shall be their place of repose. And he contrasts that with the majority of us who don't have those things in, who don't have appetite and anger in the right places. And he says, Have you seen the one who takes his own desire as a God? And God causes that person to stray out of knowledge of who they really are. And then he says in another verse, His likeness is as a dog. Um, if you go after him, then he, he just pants. And if you leave him alone, he just pants. Right? So we have these two capacities. Right? We have the capacity to rise to above, the, above even our angelic aspects to become true human beings in the full sense of the world. And we also have the capacity to become worse than animals and no different than animals. But it is in taking that better path in striving against the self and putting things in the right places that really we unlock our full potential. And this is why the heart is so important. This is why learning about the heart is so important. Uh, so that we can fulfill that very special distinction and come to fully enjoy and embody the great blessing with which God has given each and every one of us as sons and daughters of Adam. That's all I have now. There was another image that I wanted to do with those guys, but I think we'll leave it for now. But uh, does anybody have any questions or comments or concerns or um, refutations or anything like that. Everything is welcome. Yes, sir. So, um, I don't want to... Um, based upon the understanding of the relationship of all these elements of the soul and the human being, then, and so I'm just thinking out loud and
but it seems that to have a resultant spiritual state and effect to derive from it, it needs to be continuous. And um, I guess what I'm getting at is, is do you have anything to, sh to share on that about how a kingdom can be in check, but time and, and giving it time is also an element in all of this? Uh, that's a very beautiful reflection. And, you know, as they say, it's a, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? That's what they say, right? Um, things can be well in the kingdom at any one time. But really what defines good leadership is the content of character. And we put ourselves out there every day, right? You, 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 you get up in the morning very early for most of, uh, many of us. I, I, I'm not a morning person, so, but I, I got up very early today. By my standard anyways, I got up at 3 in the morning. Um, and uh, you get up, you brush your teeth, you, um, you know, tidy yourself and put on your clothing and stuff, and you go out into the world. And really it's like you spent your whole lifetime just building up to that one day. And all of your faults, you bring that out into the world. All of the beautiful things that you represent, you know, all of these strong principles for which you work and strive, and all of these beautiful virtues that you embody, all of that is there too. And every comment that we make, every step that we take, every breath, every aspect of stillness or movement, all of that reflects our heart ultimately. Every time we hurt somebody, every time we rectify or, or, or reconcile between two people, every time we fall into any sort of sin, and any time we do anything that's good, all of that really ultimately reflects the state of our hearts, right? And all of those moments, right? All of those moments are just small pieces of a much bigger picture. And in each of those moments, right, in those microcosms, in those small moments, you, in every drop you can take, you, you know, in every drop is the whole ocean. But we work on it and we recognize our faults, we recognize, you know, we need to have moments of introspection where we look back and think about, what did I do today? How did I affect people? How did I affect the people around me? How did I spend my time? You know, what is the state of the nation or the state of the kingdom or whatever the case may be? What is the state of my heart? And we have to take moments to ask those questions. You know, when I made fun of my brother Saad for whatever reason, I don't know why. Like, why didn't I do that? What, what, what was it in my heart that pushed me towards that? Like, maybe I wasn't happy that, you know, he had some success in his job or something like that, and my job was going really crummy. That's not a real situation, but yeah, God gave him lots of success. But, um, and so maybe I made fun of him or I put him down or something like that. What, does, what is that? Is that greed? Is that, is that jealousy? Is that, what is that? What's in my heart? 
So all of those moments add up to a composite whole and all of those moments reflect everything that's going on within that kingdom. And that sort of agony or angst that we have about like, you know, it's very easy in a space like this, right? In a moment like this to be very, you know, to be paying attention. I hope it's easy to pay attention. It's not always, right? But, um, you know, and, and we're all in, in good company and we're going to be on our, you know, we're going to be doing good things together and, and, and so forth. We're not in, you know, somewhere else, like in another gathering where we might be um, drinking alcohol or, or um, having inappropriate relationships or whatever the case may be, right? We're in a very good gathering and we're in a gathering where we help one another as believing brothers and sisters, right? But when we go out into the street, or perhaps even when we go home to our families, or whatever the case may be, we may be an entirely different person. It's easy when things are facilitated for us, but it becomes difficult when we're alone. And of course, the companions of the Prophet they recognize that, and, and that, that really hurt them. Because they recognize, like, when we're in your presence, when we're with you, when we're with the Prophet you know, we're always so good and like we, we feel so close to God and we feel like really special people and so on and so forth. And, you know, we're very careful about the way we think and act and so on and so forth. But when we leave, we're not like that. And so, alhamdulillah, everybody knows the story of alhamdulillah who started saying, nafaqa alhamdulillah. Like alhamdulillah has gone munafiq. Alhamdulillah is a hypocrite. Right? Because... And he was, he was just calling it out in the street. And then Abu Bakr has to ask him, what, what happened? And he, he explains that, you know, when I'm in with the Prophet I'm one way, and when I'm elsewhere, then I'm in a different way entirely. And Abu Bakr felt, I'm the same way. Like, the, I have the same challenge. And so they go to the Prophet and they complain. And the Prophet ﷺ beautifully explains to them that you know, if they were able to maintain the same state outside as they had when they were with the Prophet ﷺ, then the angels would shake their hands in the streets. But he said there's a time for this and a time for that. And again, the heart, the qalb, that aspect of ourselves which tends to flip, right? That the hearts are bayna usbu'i ar-Rahman. That the hearts are between the two fingers of the All-Merciful. And of course, again, that's not literal fingers. Right? Whatever the meaning of the two fingers of the All-Merciful is, God knows best. But He turns them however He will. And so we have moments of weakness, we have moments of like where we're not our best. We have moments where we may suffer things like depression or anxiety or whatever the case may be. And we have moments where we're very healthy. And we have moments where we're very good to the people around us. And we have moments where, you know, you see aspects of that kingdom that are really, you know, lush and vibrant and beautiful, right? So we are complex people. And it is, it is always a work in progress. I remember once that I complained to my sheikh and I said to him, you know, you know, like, CD, I, I, like, I can never get past. I can never get past the nafs al 
Right? We spoke about a little bit about you know, the three souls. You have the nafsul ammarah, the soul that constantly calls to evil or constantly calls to harm. That is the soul where, where um, the appetite and anger are in control. That behaves like an animal. That if it wants something, it takes it. If it doesn't want something, it destroys it. That is the soul that, you know, the heart has an idol of a pig for appetite and an idol of a dog for anger. And it just, you know, if the appetite commands it, it prostrates. And the intellect is totally uh, covered over, right? That has no introspection, that doesn't ask itself questions, that doesn't ask itself, why did I do that, right? It just does whatever it wants. Sometimes people like that can run whole countries, right? Um, that's the lowest level. Uh, and God says in the Quran, وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي You know, speaking about, um, you know, conveying the words of, of Yusuf or, or the king at that time. وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِالسُّوءِ إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ رَبِّي Right? And I do not absolve myself. Indeed, the soul is always calling to evil except those upon whom God has mercy. Right? That's the nafs al-amarah. That's the lowest level soul. That's like the reptilian soul. Right? Then you have the nafs al-lawamah. And the nafs al-lawamah is the soul that constantly blames itself. Right? And the nafs al-lawamah is a very amazing thing. It's a very big thing. And God takes an oath by the nafs al-lawamah in the Qur'an. He says, لا أقسم بيوم القيامة I take an oath by the day of rising, of resurrection. ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة And I take an oath by the soul of constant reproach. Right? The soul that always blames itself because that's, the, that's where most of us probably are. Where you know, we take one step forward and two steps back. And two steps forward and one step back. Right? Like, why did I do that again? Like, why did I hurt that person again? Or why did I, you know lie or why did I slander somebody or why did I do this or that or the other thing like why do I always fall why am I always gossiping why am I always getting into other people's business right why can I never get my prayers in on time why can I never um, fast or whatever the case may be right so we make mistakes and then we blame ourselves and that is a very beautiful state to be in because inshallah, you know, that's like the, the, the second image where you have these two armies that are, are fighting one another. And inshallah, the king, the intellect will prevail. But being in the state of Nasul Lawama is ultimately not a state in which one can stay. Because when you have this like fundamental conflict, like this huge conflict right in the middle of your heart, you, you, you can't live like that. Like if you're always at tumult and everything's always like shaken up, like you can't live like that forever. And either you'll go back and default and stop blaming yourself and instead just like, you know, submit to your desires and submit to your anger and so on and so forth. Because that's a state of, you can say tranquility, but it's not really tranquility. It's like we've covered over our senses and we've covered over our intellect so that we don't ask questions anymore. And we're numb to the world.
or you can prevail in that conflict. And inshallah, each of us makes that journey. And rises to an nafsul mutma'inna, the soul that is at peace with itself. And again, God says in the Quran, Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna, irji'i ila rabbiki radiyatan mardiyya. O you soul that is at peace with, her, with herself, return to your Lord uh, pleased and well pleasing. Enter amongst my servants, enter my garden. And that is the highest state, the state that is the state of the soul where everything is running well, that the heart is at peace with itself, and the heart is at peace with God. And so I, I said to, to my teacher, like, I, I can never get past a nafsul Like, I always make mistakes, and then I always blame myself. And then I make the same mistakes again and again and again. And he said, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُّلَنَا وَلَمْ يَقُلْ سَبِيلَنَا He said, you know, God says in the Qur'an, those who strive in our path, uh, sorry, those who strive for our sake, we will guide them to our paths, like plural. And the shaykh said that God didn't say we'll guide them to our path. Right, those who strive for our sake, like they make mistakes and then they're like, I'll never do that again, and you know, they try to set things right and so on and so forth. Those who strive for our sake, right, because they want to set right what's between them and God, and they want to get to that state of peace, and they want to be they want things to be right and okay. Those who continue on that struggle, we will guide them to our paths. And what I understood from that is that one of the significance or perhaps part of the significance of him saying paths and not path is that it's not like the same journey for everybody and you know you may make a mistake and then you repent and then you try to set things right and then you make another mistake and you make the mistake again and again and again but each time you make that mistake is a little bit different and each time you make that mistake, in fact, you may think that a door is closing, but in fact, a new door is opening, right? Because you recognize something about yourself. You recognize that you have this weakness. You recognize, you get some insight about yourself. You find another way to move forward. And so each time you, you do that, you know, a new path opens up to you. Those who strive in our way, we will guide them to our paths. And so your experiences and everything, it's all unique. And inshallah, you know, Allah deliver us safely. May God bless us all with good journeys. And may we assist one another and help one another on those paths. Is that, is that okay? Or, or I didn't really answer your question, right?
I mean, I think that's beautiful what you said about the community. I apologize to interrupt you. Is that okay? Sorry. Uh, what, what does that say about my heart? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, um, you know, one of the things as well that that, uh, um, that same teacher mentioned once um, that's really beautiful about those verses, oh, you soul that is at peace with, it, with herself. It's interesting because the nafs, you know, is a female feminine word. So all of this, uh, sorry? Oh, oh, <laughs> I should throw this at you. Anyways, uh, uh, the nafs is a feminine word. And so the address here is, 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 is female, is feminine. You know, oh, soul that is at peace with herself. Uh, return to your Lord, pleased and well-pleasing. Enter among my servants. Uh, and enter my garden. And it's very beautiful that like, God welcomes this soul that's at peace into a community. Enter amongst my servants. And then enter my garden. Right? Like he, he says that, enter amongst my servants first. Which is like, it's as if entering amongst the servants is an even higher pleasure or joy. And you know, being here together, inshallah, like we be there we be there too, inshallah, together. But one of the indications or one of the illusions there is that it is in finding community and finding good company and being with good people that you enter the garden before you enter the garden. Right? It is on taking this journey together and being together and learning about marvels of the heart, right? That you enter the garden, Jannatul Ma'rifah, Qabla Jannatul Khuld that you enter the garden of knowing God before you enter the garden of eternity, right? It is in being together and, and, and working with together and sharing our joys and our sorrows and, and, and being not so nice to each other and, and working through difficulties together and stuff like that, that we come to know not only one another, but we come to know God. It is in finding good mentors, taking care of our young people, you know, being brothers and sisters for one another, that we gain access to that beautiful garden, right? And that is the greatest joy that this soul at peace has when it enters into the presence of God, entering into this beautiful communion and ultimately entering into communion with God himself, right? Being with God forever and ever, gazing upon his face, right? Um, so we work at things as a community, we work at things together, and inshallah, like, I, I hope we keep coming back, and I hope I keep coming back, and I hope you all keep coming back. But, you know, inshallah, like, we'll grow together. And inshallah, the fact that we're all here today is a very good sign for that, inshallah. God willing. Does anybody else have anything, um, any questions or concerns? Or, yes, ma'am.
I think that's very important. Like we don't speak about we speak about anger and appetite being an excess. And I tried to touch on that the other aspect of that which is when anger and appetite are lacking. And Imam al Ghazali does speak about that. But I think that often our discourse or the way we talk about these things is very unbalanced. Um, it's it often seems to be the case that we focus so much on those things, anger and appetite being out of control, like being too far in an extreme, that we overcompensate in the other way. And that shows up in a lot of dysfunctional uh, relationships in our communities. Excuse me, sorry, I have a hair in my... Anyways, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, you see that like with, with, with many parts of our community, the way that our, our young women are raised, right? Where women are taught, like, like any appetite or any desire that they would have is totally taken out, right? Because constantly being put down and, and, and shamed in unhealthy ways, like, such that many of our women hate their bodies. And many of our women feel disgusted in their bodies. Uh, and then it becomes very difficult to have a very healthy relationship thereafter, right? You know, all these discourses about, you know, modesty and all of these things, like I'm not saying those aren't important things, but then it's just, it, it, it's taken to a toxic level, right? So much so that, yes, there is appetite and desire that's an extreme for men and for women. But it's like we, we totally shut that down and like teach people like, no, you can't have any of that. And then, you know, people don't even know how to express themselves anymore. And people don't feel comfortable in their bodies. And, you know, they can't eat anymore because they're scared of maybe looking a particular way or, or, or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's not becoming of someone like it's not you know it's not appropriate for for somebody to to enjoy that food or something like that because that's the messaging they've been taught. They can't have a relationship like if if they marry, for example, then you know they can't even they can't be touched because they feel so foreign to their own body. I've seen that a lot, right? Anger as well. I mean, I remember when I decided. I wanted to be, I wanted to take religion seriously. Um, you know, like one of the things, like people were speaking a lot about anger. And when I was small, I had a lot of anger. And uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't have a very good relationship at that time with uh, my father, we, we often butt heads. Alhamdulillah, I love my father and he loves me and we're very close. But in that time, we, we often didn't see eye to eye. And I would get really angry. And I couldn't control my anger. And then I felt that, you know, I have to, I have to put these things back. I have to, I have to, yeah, I can't get angry. Right, and you know, 
So I have to really cut back. So I started just suppressing my anger. And I started just getting rid of that and not expressing it at all. To the extent that if people were doing wrong to me, like I wouldn't say anything. Or if, if something was, was not right, I just I, I couldn't even get angry anymore. Even when it was justified, even when you had to. And you know I started to feel like I was a coward. Because I had all this fear. And I had no way to, to stand up to it. Uh, as Imam al-Ghazali says, and actually this is, this is an old insight. This is something you, know, you, you see in Aristotle as well. Anger is the basis of courage. Right? You know, warding off harm, right? Standing up to harm. Right? And when it's not there, when it's not in the right place, you can no longer ward off harm because you don't have that. Right? Uh, I don't remember who said it, but uh, you know, courage is not the absence of fear but it is the ability to act in the presence of fear, right? Everybody has fears, that's a natural part of being human. In any case, um, I came to realize, you know, because one time um, I was with uh, Dr. Omar Abdullah, and uh, I asked him for some advice, and um, you know we had been uh, together at that time for a few months, um, and we were basically living together. But uh, so he was very comfortable being tough on me sometimes, and. Um, But I remember that time he, he really broke me. And he said that, uh, you know, you're not a child anymore. And uh, I just remember, like, the way he really shook, shook me up. But part of what I realized is that, like, I can't mature and I can't be the man that I'm supposed to be because I don't have my anger anymore. I had my anger. But it was covered up. And like, I was like everybody's little brother. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody thought of me like their little brother. But it's because I don't stand up for myself. And I'm very passive. And it took me years. Like I, I, I just, I recognized that about myself. And then I just started, like, you know, there would be moments where I'd get like slightly annoyed or something like that, and then it's like, that, there it is, there's your anger, there, there it's, it, you, you saw it, right? And, you know, then I, I, I just let it out, you know, like slowly, like, like I taught myself to cover it up so much, but then I just like let it out a little bit. And, let it out a little bit. and then sometimes it went a little bit overboard, but I was like, there it is, <laughs> right? You can still get angry. And, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, by the grace of God, like, I feel like much more comfortable, I feel like I'm in a much healthier place with that because I, personally I feel like I can, I'm more attuned, to, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfectly balanced or something, but like I'm more attuned to when I need to show that anger and when that needs to come out, right? But we often don't speak about those things. We often don't speak about anger being lacking or appetite being lacking and that does lead to a very unbalanced discourse. And that is part of why we talk about the heart.
right? Because we need those things, right? If you can't bring any goodness to yourself and you can't warn off any evil, you're not even living. And uh, there's a lot to be said about that. I, I, I hope that's an okay beginning. Yeah. Thank you for your comments. Well, I think we should actually finish maybe because Yeah, right, right, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. Well, come on, man, you're so angry at me. Inshallah, thank you all for coming, alhamdulillah. Uh, would you like to share something? Well, I, I didn't overcome that feeling. I mean, I, I said that the nafs al-lawama that's always blaming itself, like it can never, you can't really stay in that forever. And um, you were asking about, I, I'm just repeating that because I'm not sure everybody heard, but, um, and also if, if I'm mis messing up in my summary, then please let me know. But like living in the West, it's often a struggle. And, you know, just to fulfill our basic obligations and, you know, Sometimes we get stressed out and we let out ugly aspects of ourselves onto other people and so on and so forth. Like we make so many mistakes. And does that mean that we're just going to default to one of these other states because we can't always be at that conflict? Uh, is, that, is that fair? No, is that, is that, is that, did I summarize what you're saying? Well, yeah. Um, I think it, a big aspect of that is like we're always, like you never reach perfection, right? And um, we're always making mistakes. Uh, again, as it's related from the Prophet Right? that every son of Adam, every daughter of Adam, is excessively prone to making mistakes. Everybody, excessively prone to mistakes. And the best of those who are excessively prone to making mistakes are those who are excessively prone to turning back to God. Like a tawab, it's not like ta'ib. Ta'ib is like somebody who turns back to God. A tawab is somebody who always turns back, right? And perhaps part of it is also reframing the issue as well. I mean, in the sense that Part of it is also embracing our challenges and embracing the um, certain things that we're working on, certain things we're trying to grow in, and so forth. And perhaps not framing it as some sort of adversarial thing, like where we're constantly at odds with our own selves. 
And we do do wrong things and we do have to compensate and we do have to set things right after, after we have done wrong. And we do have to take ourselves to task. But also part of it is also just being comfortable that I'm an imperfect being. Uh, I'm going to make mistakes. But I know I believe and I love and I'm comforted and taken care of by a God who is perfect and by a God who doesn't make mistakes and a God who wasn't mistaken in the way he created me. And embracing those challenges, loving those challenges as this is the path or these are the paths that God has made just for me, like all of those challenges that I have, like all of those mistakes that I tend to make, all of those faults of character, everything about it, it's like a perfect, perfect, perfect custom-made package just for you and for me. Each one of us has a different package. And recognizing that, yeah, I, I do, I've done really bad things. I've, I, I, I've done things I wish I didn't do. But this is my path back, back to God. Right? So, I think that that fun, fundamental conflict is, is, is very natural. And, and, and I think many of us experience the sorts of things that you described. But I think part of it, part of how we come to terms with that is also recognizing that we're human beings and recognizing that we are going to make mistakes, but also embracing that and uh, moving forward in recognition that you know, God isn't some angry man who wants to punish you and torture you. And so God loves you more than anybody who's ever loved you, more than your parents, more than your spouse, more than your children, anybody who's ever loved you. And God is more merciful for you the mercy that a mother has for her newborn child is, is just an aspect of a fraction of God's mercy, right? And so we embrace that mercy. We embrace our challenges, but we really embrace the all-encompassing mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of God Most High. And you know, that was my fundamental uh, 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 angst, I suppose, or, or anxiety that I brought to the shaykh when I, I mentioned that story. He said, all of those paths, all of those paths, all of those failures that you have, they're all paths back to God, right? And, 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 and that is one of the indications of that verse. So I think that's one way, or perhaps, or, or perhaps that's, we need to reframe the issue a little bit and, and, and try not to put our faith in ourselves and our limited capacities, but put our faith in the one who's unlimited. Inshallah. Is that helpful at all? Yeah, Allah bless you. Allah bless all of you, inshallah. And, uh, you know, inshallah, Allah deliver us safely back to Him. And, uh, inshallah, in the best of spirits, all together, inshallah. And, uh, inshallah, we help one another out in that. Allahumma wafiqna lima tuhibbuhu wa tanda wa ja'alna min abidika su'ada. وَأَمِتْنَا عَلَى كَلِمَةٍ هُدَى عَلِّمْنَا مَا يَنْفَعُنَا وَوَفِّقْنَا لِلْعَمَلِ بِمَا عَلَّمْتَنَا بِهِ وَجَعَلْمَا نَحْنُ فِيهِ خَالِصًا مُخْلِصًا لِوَجْهِكَ الْكَرِيمِ يَا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ اللهم اجعل تجمعنا هذا تجمعا مرحوما وتفرقنا بعده تفرقا معصوما لا شقيا منا ولا محوما وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين الحمد لله رب العالمين السلام عليكم